0: Welcome to Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage, brought to you by two people who have covered the club more than anyone else in their respective disciplines. Thanks to Moon Taxi for providing our opening and closing music, and to the 440 Sports Network for giving us a place to talk about Big Bird, Coyotes, and Skyline Chili, oh yeah, and soccer too. I'm Wes Bowling, radio analyst for Nashville
1: Soccer Club. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com, where I've been covering the boys in gold longer and in greater depth than anyone out here. By three days over me, (laughs) by the way. Proprietor, such a fancy word for, what, editor, photographer.
0: I guess you do eight different roles, including now a (laughs) podcast. Anything
1: that's done, i do it, other than uh, host on the servers,
0: I guess. And you'll find a way to do that here before long. Speaking of hosting, it is Match Week, and Nashville SC is going to host... FC Cincinnati they're introducing themselves to their 14th MLS club Saturday night at 7 30 p.m. It's an introduction of sorts and yet it's a club Tim that Nashville SC
1: might know better than pretty much any other team in the top tier. Yeah FC Cincinnati has been down the touchline from NSC on five previous occasions. All of them in Nashville's inaugural professional season and each game ending in a draw, including a preseason match and a playoff match that unfortunately FC Cincinnati ended up winning in penalties. But for the first time, will one of these clubs actually win the game? It's a good question. Today, we'll get you ready for the match. We're going to talk about the starting 11
0: that we expect to see on the pitch. We'll recap the preseason that barely was. And most importantly, and the reason many of you are tuning in tonight, it's not to hear from us. It's to hear from a guest who's going to take us deep inside the club's preparations for its second season. What do Counting Cards and Shane Battier have to do with year two of Nashville SC's season? We're about to find out from a guy everyone wants to hear from this time
1: of year. We are extremely pleased to welcome our good friend, Nashville SC General Manager Mike Jacobs, to the show this week. We will hit all the important topics, and maybe even get to a little bit of soccer while we're at it just a little bit there is a lot to cover we're going to enjoy that enlightening
0: conversation with mike jacobs that might just transform your view of nashville SC's approach to its sophomore season after that we'll dive into a discussion of the starting 11 against cincinnati but first it's time for our early shout The big news coming out Monday, Nashville SC manager Gary Smith has received a contract extension. He's the only manager Nashville SC's ever had in his professional era, and he just signed that extension. that will take him under contract through 2023. He earns the reward after taking the club all the way to the MLS Cup quarterfinals. CEO Ian Eyre said Monday he likes that Gary laughs at his jokes, but that wasn't the main reason the club offered him an extension
2: whether you're managing
0: or coaching a soccer team or whether it's your own family, you know, everybody, your kids all need
2: a different thing. Some need an arm around the shoulder, some need a kick in the butt sometimes. And I think that's the same with players. And I think when you have a coach who kind of understands that and has a different
0: approach for different personalities and different people, but then still has the ability to bring that group together. I think that's a huge asset, probably for me, the one that stood out the most, apart from obviously being great at getting results out of of the team. But but that for me was the strongest point. Tim, it's our understanding that Gary was previously under contract through the end of this season. So it's a two-year show of faith from the club. The question I'll ask you, do you think he's earned it?
1: Yeah, I do think he's earned it. I think when you look at what the results on the field have been, You can't argue against it that much, whether that's through the two years of USL, especially when you look at the growth from the first year to the second year. But you also have to kind of say it's a little bit of a risk from the club. I think they're hitching their wagon to a guy who's a winner who doesn't always do it in a sexy way. You can still sell tickets and attract fans if you play an attractive game and don't win. It's a little bit harder if the wins kind of dry up a little bit and you're not playing the most attractive brand of soccer to continue justifying that. And I think... Most Nashville fans have come around to the Gary Smith style of play, but certainly if the wins stop coming, maybe it is something that that fans will say, hey, what's this extension business about? I agree that Gary Smith has
0: clearly earned the extension. I, I'll go a step further and say I think he should have been a finalist for Coach of the Year last season over Greg Vanny, the Toronto FC manager. Now, Jim Curtin, Oscar Pereja were always going to be the runaway favorites mm-hmm. to win that award. I have no problem with that. But to take a first-year expansion club, For only the sixth time in MLS history to the playoffs, uh, Gary Smith has won or drawn 73% of his matches for Nashville in all competitions. He's never lost a league match by more than two goals. He's been stable. And stability, I think, is what Nashville really wanted in year one. Now their objective is to move to aggression. You asked a really good question of Gary Smith today. Why don't you summarize, if you will, what your question was for him, and then we'll play his answer.
1: Yeah, my question was essentially, now that he has a contract extension in the bag, now that he knows that his future is secure for a couple of years uh, going forward here, what does he feel like he has the opportunity to do in terms of personal growth and what ways is he interested in growing personally?
2: It was a very interesting one, Tim. It made me think a little bit. If you're not growing, if you're not evolving with, uh, you know, the way that the game moves, trends... Um, you know, in new in innovative ways of trying to get the very best out of players and, and, and working in new environments, then you, you just get left behind. And, you know, I've certainly tried in, in the last, what was it, 10 years or more since Colorado, which I think everyone forgets was my first head coaching job. And there were a lot of things when I took that role on that I did then, that, you know, in many ways, uh, I look back on and w- would would question now, but I was 10 or 11 years younger. I certainly had my own ideas and, and, uh, and, and thoughts on how things should be done. I had a little bit more hair then as well, which I think gave me a little bit more confidence. Those challenges that you go through in life, you know, it, it helps smooth out and round off certain, you know, maybe edges that, that that I had in in my personality, I think it gives you a better perspective of, of how you're going to be successful. And there's no two ways about it. Uh, I feel that the more new and improved Gary Smith, if you like, is, is a better person for it.
0: Tim, when you asked him that question, you prefaced it with the qualifier that it's not normally the type of question you ask. As we've already covered, you've asked Gary more questions in this media market than... Anybody else, what led you to ask the question, and what
1: did you think about his I think pretty introspective answer? Yeah, I think part of the reason that i I thought it was an interesting question to ask at the time is because I don't ask it a whole lot and and people don't ask him to kind of have that sort of introspective thought very often. It's something that I think you know we, we have observed that Gary is an incredibly bright guy I think uh, from like from an academic perspective, he's a lot smarter than m- many people might give him credit for, mm-hmm. and I think people like that. Relish the opportunity to kind of have a little bit of a thought problem to to, to figure out and and to kind of think a little bit more deeply past that. Why did you use a four-two-three-one formation in this situation? Um, who's who's going to be your starting striker on Saturday? And I think he appreciated it. Thoughtful is a good word to describe him. So many conversations
0: that I had with him last year. During the COVID pandemic and after all of that craziness, they were about man management. They were about mm-hmm. those relationships, and we heard Ian Air refer to it earlier here in the show about that. That's what really you know blew him away and, and impressed this club. I I can tell you that's not blowing smoke. He's very thoughtful about how he approaches each of his players. I think that the thoughtfulness he showed in that answer about himself mirrors
1: the way that he goes about approaching every one of the players on his on his squad as well. And of course, he deflected a little bit with some humor in there talking about how he doesn't have quite as much hair as he had <laughs> when he was back in Colorado, too.
0: If you see the picture of him holding the MLS Cup, he didn't have a whole lot then, but he did have a <laughs> little. <laughs> Moving on to another early shout, Nashville SC has traded for a young prospect. Dylan Neelis is coming to town and the only tie he previously had to Nashville. Nashville was that he was the third pick of the MLS super draft in Nashville's inaugural season. Nashville took Jack Mayer with the second pick. So Mayer and Nealis, the two players picked directly ahead of Daryl DK, who's now <laughs> auditioning for the English Premier League, both on the same team. He's a second year player. Timmy wrote about Nealis on the website, plays on the right side of the pitch typically, fullback, maybe can move into midfield. Uh Tell us a little bit about how you expect him to contribute to this team. What's his ceiling for what he might be able to get done this year?
1: The first thing that really I noticed about it was Gary Smith and Mike Jacobs are both pretty familiar with his older brother, Sean Nealis, who's played for New York Red Bulls and New York Red Bulls 2 over the past several years. And we saw him play for New York Red Bulls, too, against Nashville SC in the past. Dylan is probably a little bit higher upside than his brother, even though he might not have the same physical traits. But at the end of the day, he's going to be this sort of fullback that you want to see in the system that Gary Smith runs. He can provide service from the right side. He can link up with a a winger. He can combine with the, the central midfielders. And he's a guy who's going to be just just sound enough to stay home when you need him to in a summer where you're going to see Nashville see likely missing Alistair Johnston for significant stretches he's a nice guy to plug in there and especially when you take into account that Nashville didn't have to give up a ton to get him because Inter Miami was looking to unload they're kind of going a little bit for that uh championship pedigree <laughs> that w- that would be the English League championship <laughs> not uh championship winning pedigree Shawcross gives yeah. yeah so so it's something that that they saw an opportunity to find a, an undervalued asset and pick it up. I, I wonder if that'll become a theme later in the show. Oh, just maybe, just maybe.
0: $175,000 in general allocation money, mm-hmm. the price tag, 50,000 potential more in performance-based incentives. Importantly, they still have a whole healthy chunk of that allocation mm-hmm. money left to make a move based on how they see fit. And again, teasing that interview with Mike Jacobs, we asked him about his approach to managing that kind of surplus cash. More unfortunate news, another cancellation of a preseason match. The team that is often unfairly accused of parking the bus (laughs) had a team canceled because it couldn't get its bus unparked. Birmingham Legion, with bus trouble, had a flat tire, didn't make it up for the friendly that was going to be a dress rehearsal Saturday at Nissan Stadium for the opener a week later. Something we talked about in the previous show. Is it concerning to you
1: that Nashville will go in having played two of its six scheduled preseason friendlies? I think the main thing that I worry about is not how many preseason friendlies they get. As I mentioned last week, most teams have had at least a couple of their slated games canceled. My issue is that Nashville hasn't had their first choice players recently enough. Anibal Godoy, Randall layall Alistair Johnston, all out on international duty expecting to come back and and be able to participate in a couple friendlies will not have that opportunity. And that's something that as you're kind of trying to integrate these guys back into the team, as they were away with their countries over the course of, of uh, late March into early April here, you would have liked to see them get back in the feel of the Nashville system rather than the Panama system or the Canada system or the Costa Rica system.
0: I agree. And same with the forwards, Mm -hmm. you know, when you have CJ Sapong, who's new to the team, Dombaji. Played a little bit against Louisville in that first friendly. Daniel Rios, John Rodriguez did not at all. Just a little bit of time for Abu Dunladi, but a little bit of a, of a qualifier. I talked with Gary Smith for a, a preseason special on 102.5, and he said he's still pleased with the workload the staff has been able to impose on the players in terms of getting them match fit. So he he thinks they're gonna be in good shape. Plus, that starting eleven is gonna consist primarily of players who started buckets of games last year. You know, I almost feel a little better that Leal and Godoy and Alistair were playing. They were playing matches. Even <laughs> yeah, though it they were getting the onto the field on
1: like some of these guys who were unable to get into any competitive action. Yeah, right. And
0: as much as we hate to continue revisiting the MLS's Back tournament cancellation for Nashville SC and withdrawal. Mm -hmm. It was another bit of adversity also in the state of Florida that built some reserves of resiliency and maybe some muscle memory about how to respond to such an an occasion. uh, In that case, they came back and beat Dallas in their first match back for the first ever win for the club. So not a a completely like for like situation, but they can, they can draw on some lessons they've learned in the past for that. Absolutely. Let's take a look quickly at Nashville's Saturday opponent, FC Cincinnati. They are not, a beacon of prestige in Major League Soccer. Their second year, they finished last in the East for the second straight season. 12 goals last year on just 12.8 expected assists, and their quote-unquote star striker, Jurgen Locadia, scored precisely once in 17 matches. And so... They went out and paid for firepower. They spent a reported double digit million dollars to bring Brazilian striker Brenner in from Sao Paulo. They welcomed Lucio Acosta back to MLS. He starred with Wayne Rooney in DC. They're optimistic about climbing from the cellar. Tim, with three matches left last season, this Cincy team was the only side in a prominent top tier league globally to rank bottom of the league in goals, goals allowed, and goal differential. We mentioned that stat about Gary Smith never losing a Nashville match by more than two goals. That happened to Cincy five times last year
1: alone. Will they be better this year, and will it matter in time for them to test Nashville? I think they'll definitely be better this year. As you mentioned, they they built something over the course of last year. They obviously had a lot of adversity themselves, changing coaches early in the season uh, for off-field reasons. Japs Dom really kind of instilled a defensive sense of purpose into this team. There just wasn't the talent to get it done consistently. And of course, there wasn't the talent and probably not the system to get it done offensively. The one thing about soccer is when you plug in some really good players, some really good attackers, you have a chance to improve very rapidly. The question for me is whether Lucho Acosta is going to be that guy. He's really struggled since that 2018 season that where he was incredible alongside Wayne Rudy at DC United, um, had, a, had a pretty poor 2019 season. And then Um, has been in Liga MX where he was very poor the last uh, 18 months or so. So if he can bounce back from that, it'll be because I think Brenner is providing him the the passing lanes, saying, hey, here I am wide open in front of the net. In terms of whether it's going to be enough to test Nashville right away, neither of those guys participated in uh, a couple of FC Cincinnati's preseason friendlies. So as much as we're worried about chemistry with Nashville up front, I think FC Cincy has a lot more to worry about because those guys are brand new to the team and they're the two guys who are going to be pulling the strings primarily.
0: All right, so let's dispense with the appetizers. Many of you are here and you should be here, to hear not from us, but from Nashville SC General Manager Mike Jacobs. The GM received his own contract extension earlier in the offseason, and he sat down with us this week for an extremely thoughtful conversation about his player acquisition philosophy, his objectives for the club in year two, and a surprise roster consultant. Okay, well, he might not be all that surprising if you know about Mike's affinity for Duke basketball. We really think you're going to enjoy this interview. Our first ever guest presenting Mike Jacobs. Mike, you are our first friend of the podcast, but you've been a friend to each of us for many years. Welcome and thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me, guys. We have been sitting and waiting for soccer for months since that Columbus match. I'm curious: when you're in it every day, does the off season go by quickly? Does it go by slowly? Have you been waiting like us, or has it gone by fast because you guys have been so busy building this year two team?
3: The idea of the off season is it's almost ironic for us in our <laughs> office because I mean it's arguably the busiest time of the year for us, you know. So, you know, in some ways, I always joke it's like the the puzzle pieces are like magnets on the magnets in a board once preseason starts, you know, I toss them all over to Gary and then, you know, it's his job now to kind of put them all to work. And I I think once you get in it every day, you know, seeing the guys here, the players and staff here every day, it's more nine to five. It's more routine. Uh, You know, I I mean, it's, it's something different and it's, it's nice to be kind of back in that routine, but uh, yeah, I mean, there there was no rest for the weary for us during the, you know, the off season.
1: What is the difference? Obviously, The number of players you have to acquire is is far fewer. But what is the difference in building a second year team versus what you were doing with the inaugural season?
3: Initially, you know your your point I think is probably the the most obvious one. I mean, we're going from literally trying to populate not only like thirty roster spots, but also close to thirty staff positions as well. And I mean, look around the league. I I think we're the second most returning players, you know, in general at, at any of the teams in the league, and if you asked me this time last year, I would have thought we would have had like a 50% turnover uh, and not because I didn't think we had good players. I think just from the, the primary focus of not knowing what we had, you know, even, you know, as sharp as, as you can try to be with recruitment and scouting and, and watching video and talking to players until you get them here until you see how they play together, you just don't know. So I think we were really fortunate that so many of the players that we thought would have the like connectivity did Uh, some of these guys that we thought would fit with what Gary was looking for on the field did. So for us, we went from trying to put this whole thing together to now looking at how how do we keep moving it along and to find maybe additional pieces to enhance what we currently have. Uh, Maybe try to fill some some holes we now have, opposed to this time last year where we really had no idea what we had.
1: As you've talked about, over the past several years, how you want to build the roster. I think finding value and, and valuing the undervalued is, is kind of the money ball thing that you talk about a lot. What is it that makes, I guess, especially in a salary cap league, what makes that sort of stuff so important in Major League Soccer?
3: Look, you guys now definitely, I would consider myself a money ball theorist, but I, I think uh, like that, that, that moniker gets thrown around sometimes, and I think it's out of context. And whether it's because of a movie or a book, or you know people's notion that Moneyball means you're cheap or you don't spend, it's exactly Tim as you described it. I know mm-hmm. we've had several talks about this over the years. I mean, it's it's acquiring the undervalued, and and the reality is in a salary cap league, it's just not possible to pay everyone the same. It's not possible to have you know 15 DPs. We're not League MX, you know, <laughs> like uh, you know. So the reality is, I mean, I used to say this when we were in Kansas City. I thought for every DP, you have you need to have like you know anywhere from you know one to three key contributors making a hundred or less, and I I think maybe the way the caps evolved, maybe it's two hundred or less now, but the reality is it's just not possible to stretch your money, you know, and try to have X number of DP or ten players because you'll be able to fill the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. So you know, again, you know, for every. You know, Hani Mukhtar was a DP. You know that. You know the success of our team hinges on the likes of guys last year, like Dave Romney before he got a new deal. You know, or draft picks like Alistair Johnston. You know, you know that's that's any good team is built around that.
1: When you acquire guys like that, obviously somebody like Alistair is, is an obvious good deal. I think a guy like Brian Anungo is an obvious good deal. Dax, an obvious good deal because of the less uh, outlay, I guess, that it took to acquire them. When it comes to, say, for example, a guy like Walker, how does the kind of valuing the undervalued scale differently when, when the value when the absolute value is, is so much higher? How do you find guys that are still undervalued despite that?
3: Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I know Taylor Twelman had commented throughout the year about, uh, you know, happy money ball, when you spend all this all this money <laughs> on walkers Zimmerman. you know there's, there's different pots of money that you're using and the reality is every expansion team gets that same amount of expansion game and it expires you know so, so if you don't use it it goes away so you know the reality is you got to spend it on somebody so now it comes down to making the right decision on a who that player is and then b I, I talk about this all the time with our staff about like how real they are you know I always ask like, like a, if a player comes up I'll say like on a scale of one to ten like, like how real is this guy like is he attainable, if you know within our league, outside a league? Do they want to come to the United States? Can we afford them? Because it's great to say, you know, I want player X, but I mean on a scale of one to ten, if they're like a two, they're not really attainable, you know. <laughs> so I just think, uh, you know, every expansion team before and since, you know, is going to have a certain amount of allocation money that has to be spent. And you know, look, uh, uh you know, dep- you know, rather than talking about what other teams do or don't do with that money. I think for us, we just kind of felt that we were gonna save it up for a player like Walker. Uh, you know, and then we just got kind of really kind of lucky and fortunate that, you know, Walker became available.
0: Mike, you talk about going outside the league. Your connections to the worlds of MLS and college soccer are clear and they're deep. But how do you go about discovering a guy like Rodrigo Pinheiro? And what do you see specifically in his game that makes you think that he's a fit for this club's style and for its aspirations?
3: You know, what you'll appreciate is when we had our all staff retreat before the year started. We had a Zoom interview with uh, Shane Battier, who was not only an accomplished player, but obviously now is a director of analytics for the Miami Heat. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we had the analytics department for Miami Heat do like a a brainstorming session with our analytics department and scouting department. It was really cool to be able to kind of share case studies and best practices. It's totally non-threatening. It's it's different leagues, different sports. First thing he asked me, my thoughts in general, kind of share with his staff. And I said, the reality is our scouting is so much different than sports like the NBA or NFL, mm. where even though international recruitment and in basketball, and you guys know I'm a huge NBA fan, you know, it's grown <laughs> so much over the last several years. Uh, you know, the reality is, you know, 98, 99% of their player pool, they're all fishing on the same pond as every mm-hmm. other team. It's all mm-hmm. out of the NCAA, you know? So, you know, where for us, you know, I mean, you know, there's so many players in parts of the world, you know, that you can draw players from. And, you know, I think we're really fortunate to have someone like Chance Myers, our chief scout, a big reason why I just Chance be great in that role was, I think one of the easiest parts about scouting is to identify a good player. I think anyone can look out in the field and watch a game. You can watch us play against, like, Minnesota and say, you know what? That Reynoso, so he's pretty good. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, anyone can do
1: that. Crack the case, yeah.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I think the hard part now is once you see someone you thinks pretty good, it's being able to acquire them. And, you know, someone like Chance, I think uh, the equity is built up in the league. You know, you know, he's very well respected and can kind of get in any locker room as far as getting a – Background on a player, but I think also abroad, whether it's dealing with other agents, you know, that's something I spent a lot of time with over the years, cultivating relationships like that. The, the, the group, group of scouts that Chance employed in different parts of not only the country domestically, but around the world, it's helped us kind of to be able to open up, you know, our pool of candidates. And you mentioned like Rodrigo specifically. One thing we look at an awful lot is in looking at the idea like best practices, what leagues have had players that have come into MLS and translated? Because, you know, I, I think it's easy for a layman or a, you know, a, a you know, a, a Euro snob type soccer fan to say, well, how can we not get more players than the English Premier League? Well, the Premier is the most watched league in the world and spends more money on players than anyone else in the world. You know, like why would a 19 or 20 year, 20 year old high profile English youth international come to MLS? And it's not a problem in our league. We, we just can't afford those players. You look at someone like Rodrigo we think there's a lot of promise, but we also look at the fact that he came out of the same youth system at a pen roll that Diego Rossi and Ron Rodriguez came out of. Uh, you know, he was, he was a, a key player, maybe the key player on a Danubio team in the Uruguayan Premier league that was playing against players like the Rossi's Rodriguez of the world uh, in a league that translates well in our league and, you know, where it doesn't mean that like Rodrigo will be those guys, you know, I mentioned about, uh you know, uh, Shane Battier. One thing I always really appreciate that, that Shane shares and, he talked about this with our whole staff about like why analytics are so important. It's the idea of like a, a, a counting cards in the casino, uh, you know, rather than making a guess, rather than going, you know, you know, licking your finger and you know, say, okay, this guy's got to work for me. I'd much rather be able to kind of like, like narrow the odds down, increase my odds in our favor. And I would say for us, when you look at players like, you know, Yonder, who's come from Venezuela. Uh, we look at players like Rodrigo, from Uruguay, Randall from Costa Rica. You know, those guys have come from leagues. They play in national teams. Someone like Randall, I mean, I watched him play live during Gold Cup twice, and he's playing with and against other players in our league and is standing out. So does that mean he can do that in our league? It doesn't necessarily mean it for sure. But again, as far as counting counting cards, I mean, the odds kind of were kind of high that what we saw Randall do, we thought he could do here.
1: Oh Man, you mentioned the NBA, but did not mention the Knicks. So I lose that bet. But you did manage to squeeze Duke in with Shane Batty. So. I was going to say the Duke reference. I knew that was coming. <laughs> when it does come time to make that big move, whether it's a, a transfer fee for a guy overseas or, or spending some of that allocation money, which you have talked about being kind of the most important asset in building a roster. You know, the morning you wake up and, and John Thornton texts you and says that, that Walker might be available for a trade. What is the feeling? Is is there almost an apprehension of like this is what I've been saving this war chest for, and a nervousness that it might not work out, or is it something that when you've put in the work, you feel like, you know, we've done all the research we need to do, and, and this is going to work out for us?
3: Before the discussion gets to that point, we've already talked about why we're saving up these assets in the first place, you know, and the idea of trying to create a war chest like that. It's 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 all with you know a, a cause and effect, you know. There's the end that justifies the means, and for us. Again, we feel very fortunate we're able to acquire someone like Walker and a deal I think that worked well for both teams from the standpoint of what they got back in return. Also, you know, for us, you know, we just knew that. You know, I guess we try to be as proactive as possible in our planning that when an opportunity that happens, we can strike quickly.
1: Coming from that perspective, you, you have a, a technical coaching background, which I do not Not every general manager in the league does. How does that kind of help shape the way you want to approach some of these things? And, and how did you kind of decide, okay, front office, general manager side of things is, is kind of more the path I want to take with my career?
3: Well, the first part, I, I think where having coached before, probably the two biggest areas that it helps one, I, I think knowing what it, what it feels like on Gary's side of the desk or on the sideline, uh, I can tell you that I, I, have a, I have a really comfortable feel for what he goes through on a day to day basis. And you know, where most of my coaching experience, I was an assistant in you know what's now the USL. It was the USISL, but you know, was a head coach in college. Uh, you know, I think all the time about if I had an athletic director who was over my shoulder telling me who to play and, and you know moves to make during a game. Uh, what I would tell you is, that you look at not only in our sport but in any sport. You think about teams where you had general managers who were who didn't empower their head coach, uh, micromanage that process. It did not work, you know. So I think whether it was with Gary or was somebody else, and to you know, really fortunate to get a chance to work with Gary, I mean, it's our fourth year working together here in Nashville between USL and MLS. I think we've got a really good understanding of uh, of each other. Uh, also, a good good understanding of trust. You know, I, I like to think that Gary believes that I have his best interest in hand in helping him on and off the field and helping build his roster you know but i also feel like uh you know you know he trusts me as a person that i'm going to do what's right to help our club the other thing i would say i think from having coached before that i'm really in tune with is the idea we referenced a lot last year about cohesion you know making sure that the chemistry we have in our group that not only the certain roles fit on the field but even off the field you know we acquire a player you look at like the acquisitions of guys like cj sapong and rodrigo panero this year one thing that I really appreciated that, that Gary talks about a lot is a competition you have to have in those spots. You I mean, look at where we were last year at this time opposed to right now, the competition for those spots up front, you know, it's it's where I think it's supposed to be. What I would say maybe as a former coach, I think all the time about like, well, how do guys react and respond if they're not in a team? And you know, I, I do think part of it is well, it's their job to deal with that and to put themselves position to, you know, to win a spot in a team. But I also think I'm very in tune with like how these things relate to the locker room and making sure that that chemistry cohesion is not only on the field, but off the field as well.
0: Mike, last year at this time, we asked you a pretty pointed question. In year one of the expansion experiment, what does success look like? And you told us when there are two clubs on the pitch and we're one of them, we don't want a, an impartial observer to know who's the expansion team and who's not. No differentiation. Well, mission accomplished. Even the harshest critics that park the bus crowd, if you will, would have to admit it's, it was a resounding success. The club went further than I think many outside of the front office expected. So we're going to ask you that same question again, now that you have broken the mold a bit and set your own playbook for how an expansion team can operate. How do you define success in year two?
3: So I was really surly, I think with with that group and primarily national media toward the (laughs) end of the season last year. And, I think the biggest reason why you know it, it bothered me so much was it wasn't there being critical. I, I think for the first time, a lot of them were kind of like, "Hey, you guys are pretty good," <laughs> you know. So my response was, "You know, we're the same team you've been all along. You just didn't you, you acknowledge that. Yeah, you know, you chose to look at other teams or not give us the, I don't know, the credit. You know, I, I think the appreciation of what was being built and, you know, what I would say, I, I think there's ambition and then there's objectives. The idea of our ambition being to win MLS Cup." I have to be honest with you. Look, I, I mentioned before my, my own coaching background. I've been involved coaching and in an role in now uh, at the collegiate level, professional level, amateur level. I remember anybody who didn't care if they won or lost when they were playing or coaching uh, didn't want to win the whole thing. So I think it'd be I think probably disappoint fans to be kind of naive if I said that that, that wasn't your ambition was to win everything. You know, but the reality is, I mean, our objectives I think is to keep getting better and improving. And that isn't to be vanilla, but the fact of the matter is there's only so many things we can control. And the, the, the hardest part about going from, Timmy asked a question earlier about going from being a coach to what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Years ago when I was coaching, I would go over to the UK in the off season and I would try to watch teams train and I would watch youth teams and academies. I'd watch, you know, Premier League teams, you know, their practices. And I always thought I loved coaching. I think over time I came to appreciate I think I liked coaching. I, I loved building teams. I love thinking about how pieces fit together. Uh, being an engineer of sport, I, I love that. You know, uh, but you know, I, I reference that because I, I think you know you keep trying to improve and enhance what you have. But you know, even if we, you know it's possible, we can gain more points this year and not make the playoffs. You know, it, it's possible we can average more points per game, score more goals, and not make the playoffs. You know, so the, the hardest part about going from coaching where you're on the line to sitting in a box or a suite is when a game kicks off, uh, you have no control of what happens. You know, i make sure you know, like, there is no walkie-talkie between Gary and I. I don't send signals <laughs> down from the box. You know, like, I empower and trust him match day. He runs our team, you know. So, uh, you know, when you hit the playoffs, it's kind of like a flip of a coin. And that's not to be derogatory to our team or our players. But, you know, when I worked at Duke University in 2004, we went to the College Cup. And, uh, you know, it, Tim, for your drinking game, I mentioned Duke again. So, there you go, Tim, you know, uh, <laughs> uh But, you know, uh, before the NCAA tournament started, Coach Rennie said – and you have to be lucky to win a tournament. And I, and I was I, I was taken aback. So I'm like, we don't need luck. You know, we're a great team. And, you know, he's like, I'm not taking it away with our players. He goes, on a day, are people healthy? What's the weather like? Are you home or away? What are the refereeing like? I mean, you guys have seen it where a game changes, you know, on, on a you know, on a flip of a coin. So mm-hmm. I kind of feel like once you get into playoffs, it's house money and you kind of take what happens on a day. You know, I think we were extremely fortunate to knock off Miami in a playing game and, you know to be able to have that success on the road against Toronto. But you could also say in some case maybe we were unlucky against Columbus, you know, to go to extra time and to lose against the eventual MLS Cup champions. And some of those things, you know, once, you know, as being cliché about on the day or, you know, whatever any given Sunday, you know, like uh, you know, the, the hope is, you know, we put ourselves in a position that, you know, we, we keep enhancing our group. And, you know, the hope for me is each year I want us to be competitive and be pursuing a playoff spot, knowing that once you get in there, kind of anything goes. You know, so I kind of feel like, uh, you know, by the end of the season, if we're talking like this, if you look at the line and we're somewhere around it, whether above it or below it, you know, we're contention like striking distance. I, I think it's a good season. And I think for any team to the second year MLS, for any team that, you know, that, that you look at where we are compared to our peers and, you know, some of the, the benchmarking that you can look at to compare teams. I, I think for a club like us to be constantly in strike distance, making the playoffs to get in there and take our shot when it happens, I think a great season
1: because of that. You know, I guess people might say that you overachieved a little bit by taking it to extra time against Columbus in the conference semifinals. Does that raise the bar? Uh, obviously, you just went into a, a long, a long talk about how it's not all just the result on the day, but that, does that raise the bar for, for what you can accomplish in this second year?
3: You know, it's funny, the idea of the playoffs, such an Americanized concept, right? Uh, uh, you know, thinking about players come from abroad who play a 34 game season you know, hoist a supporter shield. Like, wait a second, wait, there's just more games? <laughs> like, we just won, you know? So, I mean, like, uh, you know, I, I think it's unfair to our players to hold their expectations based off of one one game and a one-off game. You know, uh, I think there are some things we showed during the course of the year that turned up against Columbus, you know, in that playoff game, and you see how stingy we were defensively. There are some you still come up to, you know, I think where you know, maybe where we, we struggled to create or finish scoring chances. You know, and I think for us, the hope is that, you know, we made some additions to our team that help kind of, you know, enhance some of those areas. I think uh, sometimes people, you know, people will look at moves like Sapong and Panero and say, well, those are key moves, which they are. But I think forget sometimes that, you know, if, if we were in a normal year, opposed to a COVID year last year, you know, guys like Cadiz and Buana, you know, they wouldn't have joined us because the window had been closed, you know? So where we did get them last season, I mean, those are new additions too. And, you know, to have those two guys a full proper preseason with Gary, who I think is a tremendous teacher and a tactician, uh, to have those guys along with these other additions, and the hope is that we've enhanced the areas maybe to help us when we do get to Tim, to that one-off type game, mm-hmm. you know, to I- increase our odds, to, again, to help us as we're counting cards.
0: Mike, final question. This is another abnormal year, uh, not because of the pandemic, let's hope, but because of Olympics and World Cup qualifying and Gold Cup and Nations League and so many outside competitions, more variables that require a little bit of, of luck, I suppose, to stay healthy and uh, and use that depth to put yourself in a position at the end. I guess, how, how did you build this team with all of these international breaks in mind and the challenges that's going to create.
3: It's so funny when you think about what we had to go through, maybe unlike any other team in, in not only MLS history, but like an expansion history in sports. I think we went through last year with multiple tornadoes and you know the, the global pandemic. You know, It's like, all right, hey, all right, by the way, here's year two, and now you have all these international windows and all these international events, so have at it. Oh, by the way, year two and your cap's frozen. <laughs> you know, have <laughs> at it. You know, so, you know, for us, you know, we went into 20 knowing that 21 was going to be an odd year like that, hoping that we've got enough depth to absorb, you know, key internationals like Randall Leal for Costa Rica and Anibal Godoy for Panama. Walkers have been for the U.S. You know, the hope is that we've got, you know, are, are we too deep in each position? I mean, you know, time will tell. But the hope for us is we've, we've worked on building this depth that, you know, when someone like Alistair Johnson gets called away by Canada, you know, it's like next man up, you know, not, not just like, like, like figuratively, but literally, you know, we've got someone who we think is capable. And that that definitely long-term for us, we always wanted to be in a situation where we thought Gary had multiple tools to pull out of his toolbox or multiple clubs, to pull out of his golf bag, you know, but uh, this should be tested that much more and hopefully we prepared for that.
0: Mike, thank you for taking the time to join us during a very busy stretch leading up to the season opener against FC Cincinnati and best of luck early on this season. Thanks luck, guys. Good luck with
3: your podcast as well. Yep, Thank thanks you. Mike. Thanks
0: for joining us. Whether or not this team achieves its objectives in year two, they couldn't have a, a more introspective and studious person really in that GM chair. He's not impulsive, Miami. He values assets appropriately Sensi, he, and he's an ideal fit for a small market club. I think that has to exploit market inefficiencies to win and can't rely on the resources of an LAFC or an Atlanta of note. I, I liked his distinction between aspirations and objectives and, that they have benchmarks that they have set, that they are following beyond just points per game and place in the standings to really mark the, the
1: qualitative growth and not just the quantity of points. Yeah, I thought the most interesting thing, um, which is something that we're pretty used to hearing from Mike, is that it's not necessarily about getting the right result. It's about having the right process to get there. And he's not going to get it right every single time. I think we saw uh, building the 2020 roster. He put a little too much faith in Jimmy Madronda to be healthy enough to contribute for this team. I think Adrian's and Dejas. Perhaps not coincidentally, another guy that he uh, crossed paths with at Sporting Kansas City and in, in a previous life. Uh, also, you know, they they netted out negatively without him ever seeing the field in terms of how much money they traded uh, to get him and to and to send him off uh, after that. But it's it's never going to be because the process behind that that is lacking in any sort of thought. Um, you know, everything isn't going to work out the way that you expect. But if you go through the process the right way, I think more often than not. You're going to get what you think you deserve and that's the way that he goes through life that's the way he's gone through building both of these first two nashville sc teams all right let's move on now and embrace debate
0: by the way the segment still needs a name we've gotten a couple suggestions from from some of you and, and like them a lot and are workshopping them on our Slack back and forth throughout the week. So we're going to talk about the starting 11 for Nashville SC. And I promise you, we're not going to sit here and name a lineup before every match. But I think it's important before that first match of the season to make sure everybody has their bearings, and we have ours, about who's going to be in that 11. And I think, Tim, there is an 11 that most fans have in mind as the expected group this season. Mm -hmm. It'd be Joe Willis in goal, left to right defensively Dan Lovitz, Dave Romney, Walker Zimmerman, and Alistair Johnston. Anibal Godoy and Dax McCarty in central defensive midfield. Randall Leyal, Alex Mwil, the wings. Hani Mukhtar, the central attacking mid. And Yonder Cadiz up top. So my question for you, do you think that is going to be the starting group
1: for this first match? I think the one thing that you can pretty much be sure about is that back seven. Willis, the back four. And then Godoy and Dax is going to be, when healthy, when available, the group that you see. The questions are going to be, how do the wingers... Mukhtar and the striker play out. I think for this first game, we'll see a proven MLS guy at striker instead of Yandr I think we'll see CJ Sapong up there. He did get the start in that opening friendly. And I think that that would be the one difference that I would definitely see. Um, you know, if there there were a different set of preseason matches available and there was a chance to evaluate a different winger to maybe play opposite Randall Leal. You might see that. But I don't think that uh, with with the limited preseason that they've been able to get competitively, that you'll see a guy ready to make that pass yet. One day I'm going to disagree with you <laughs> on
0: one of these. I promise. I will call out one thing. Embrace consensus, baby. We're like Dax McCarty and Godoy in central midfield. We may be a little different, but we're typically moving in the same direction. <laughs> I will call out one thing. I agree with you that, that at some point they might look for a, a wing to compliment Leal, and ultimately a goal would be for that to be Rodrigo Pinera, a 21-year-old Uruguayan. You just heard Mike Jacobs temper expectations a bit for him. Mm -hmm. He might have even used those exact words. They've been optimistic about his long-term projectability, but understand that he's going through a major adjustment. And Muiol in particular has been, coincidentally or not, singled out for praise this preseason Mm -hmm. and has looked really sharp by all accounts. So I think that's a a person who who shouldn't be looked at as a placeholder at right wing. I think, you know, we know he doesn't have the attacking punch that maybe some other players on the roster have, but his stability,
1: his ability to track back. And he has some good ideas in the final (laughs) third
0: from time to time as
1: well. And I think coming from that New York Red Bull system where he was pressing all the time, he gives Nashville a bit more of a pressing ability from the front than some of these other guys do quite yet, probably, too. I think that's something that Pinheiro is probably going to learn before he sees a ton of the field himself. And I like that against a guy
0: like Ronald Matherita, who's the left back for FC Cincinnati, who loves to get forward. I mean, he camps out in the opposing half. And if Wheel is pressing him and keeping him pinned
1: down, maybe it keeps him from moving into the attack as much as he would like. We'll see if Ronald Monterita has the opportunity to do that with FC Cincinnati like he did with NYC FC. I think he might he might be walking into a slightly different uh, set of available options for himself. <laughs> That's
0: a very diplomatic way to say it. It'll be interesting to see what Muiol is able to get done against Cincinnati. And Hanwala Buana would not surprise me to come in, especially if Leal has had a tricky time reintegrating into the squad. I would see Buana though, as a really good late-game attacking addition, especially if Nashville is, you know, a goal up even or potentially down. But I think Leal will be match fit and I think a superior option there to start. I think there's a chance that Dom Baji starts up top. I would lean Sapong. I'd go 70-30. But just to play a little bit of of devil's advocate, I think Baji, because he has the chemistry having been on the squad last year and understanding what what is asked of strikers and Gary Smith's system could be an option there. And we saw him get some good things done in the press as well in that number nine role. Again, I would lean Sapong, but wouldn't shock me to see Baji get the start just for the sake of predictability. Let's move outside the club now to our outside-in segment. And we're going CONCACAF Champions League. If you're unfamiliar with CCL, it's like UEFA Champions League except insane. <laughs> Like take that is all the, absolutely the best way to phrase it. Take all the craziness of like Europa League qualifiers, if you like European soccer, and apply that in 86-degree heat with 95% humidity and um, bumpy pitches. It's a lot of and, fun. And at least one leg-breaking tackle every game. Which often, and usually... Does not throw a red red card. card. No, no, it doesn't. But even though that did happen to Philadelphia Union, MLS teams went 3-0-2, two wins in Costa Rica, a draw in Mexico, which was, by the way, by a not first-choice Toronto side, playing without the MLS MVP from a year ago. An MLS team has never won CCL. It's always been the Mexican teams. Tim, I'm going to ask a question. Every MLS fan who's into this tournament
1: falls asleep at night praying, is this the year? I always feel like the other shoe is going to drop, so I won't get too uh, too big headed just yet. But it's hard to imagine a much better start. Drawing at León in Mexico, two wins in Costa Rica. This is not a, a classic Saprisa team. This is not a Saprisa team that has Randall Leal out bombing the wings, but. Beating Alajualense with 10 men when you're Atlanta United is is pretty impressive. And uh, they're going to have to win the home leg without Brad Guzan. But you can't get off to a much better start than MLS teams had. And, you know, the more bullets you have in the chamber as you progress into the subsequent rounds of this tournament, the more chances you have to finally beat that team to knock off a a Mexican squad. Uh, I will be Buzz Killington here and say, (laughs) no,
0: this is not the year. And I think last year was the year. Not that the chance won't come again, of course. And it could come this year. But if LAFC couldn't do it with a second half lead on Tigres in the final, after they'd they'd gotten to avoid trips to Mexico in the semis, they were playing those matches in Orlando at a neutral site, and they were playing at the end of the season at a time potentially more advantageous to MLS teams than preseason slash early season if they couldn't get it done last year with that lafc squad i'll believe it when i see it all five teams if they were to advance would either play a team from mexico most likely or a fellow team from mls in the quarters so i just don't see it i would love to see it i'll be watching every match Uh,
1: you can play the pessimist i'm still gonna dream big right now
0: in a world where the chicago cubs won a world series (laughs) fc cincinnati beat columbus last year And I got a date on my first day of grad school who ended up being my wife. (laughs) Never say never. That is for sure. All right. Boys in Not Gold, the well-known feature from your website, ClubCountryUSA.com. Update us on what's happening with guys who would be wearing
1: gold, except they've either been loaned out or aren't on the squad yet. David Akam, a guy who had a tough time seeing the field with Nashville last year, had a ton going on off the field. Um, His apartment was destroyed by the tornado. Um, His wife had a baby. He's been loaned to Hammerby in Sweden. He scored in his first appearance for, for Hammerby In the uh, Swedish Cup, the Swedish Allsvenskan, the domestic league, starts this week. I expect that he will be pretty much a lock starter for for being My question is, is there a level of performance that sees him end up back with Nashville at the end of his loan? I don't think that. Is likely, but I think there's a really good chance that he continues to perform well and, and, you know, sets himself up for maybe another big move staying within Europe or maybe even heading back to Africa uh, after he's made a, a bit of coin in the European leagues there too. The other guy I really want to talk about is Sandre Norheim. He's a defender from Syracuse University. He's a guy who was drafted by Nashville SC in the Super Draft this January his college career is over. Unfortunately, Syracuse had a contact tracing situation in their program. They decided mm-hmm. to cancel their last three or four games of the year, um, including a, a chance to potentially try and try and make a run towards towards the ACC uh, a spring tournament. They had a fall tournament already, and they're going to have a spring tournament again. That's just not going to happen. His his college career is over, and that's going to be something where could it uh, facilitate a quicker arrival to Nashville SC? I think more likely it facilitates a move to a USL side and maybe towards the end of the summer, Nashville SC could be in the cards for him.
0: And that is often Mike Jacobs approach with players mm. whom he wants to get regular action, but who probably won't see that with the senior squad.
1: Yeah. And that was the, that was the plan for all of the draftees last year. Yep. Alistair Johnston was actually set to go out on a loan uh, to Las Vegas lights, I believe, but because of the <laughs> coronavirus pandemic, he was stuck in Nashville trained really hard and earned a starting job for an MLS team. So uh, even, even a guy who had a good shout for MLS rookie of the year uh, was planned as a USL guy last year. So it's a pretty interesting thing. If you think a guy who who maybe doesn't have necessarily that, that quick trajectory probably stays with USL this summer. Nashville SC, not the only local soccer club playing. Got three teams here in the 615. Yeah, the UPSL, which is one of the Uh, USA Soccer, so it's not a professional league, it's one of the the amateur leagues run by USA Soccer, is uh, underway. The Mid-South Conference Expedition Premier Division has three teams from Nashville. Uh, Music City SC is off to a 3-0-0 start. AFC 615 is 2-1-0, but their only loss did come to Music City FC. And then 615 Heroes, which is the U23 team for AFC 615, is competing against the, the adults and, and has lost all three of its games to date. But um, shout out to friend of the pod, Desmond Armstrong, who's in charge of that program. A really good dude, a former U.S. men's national team player. But, um Best of luck to those guys as they continue their seasons, all three teams. If you thought you were just getting Nashville SC coverage,
0: you're mostly right, but you're going to get a little <laughs> more. And next, we're going to go to our final whistle. This is the point. Are we talk about anything we hadn't talked about yet. Something else that caught our eye. This
1: week, looking forward, and some content recommendations. I'll hop right into the content recommendations here. I would love to encourage everyone to check out the American Soccer Analysis MLS previews. They have all sorts of statistical insight. If anybody follows the, the stat stuff as we do, uh, you know about American Soccer Analysis, but uh, you can find them at American Soccer Analysis, analysis I believe, .com, which is a hilarious thing, in addition to their <laughs> normal URL, which is AmericanSoccerAnalysis.com. They're covering every single team. Each of them has kind of of a different statistical angle with the preview, so it's something where you get some a little bit of a different flavor as you kind of tour all 27 teams in MLS.
0: It is eating your vegetables, man. But if you put some butter on those vegetables, like it's good, <laughs> I love
1: it. I, man, give me, give me that broccoli, baby.
0: Absolutely, shovel it in, especially roasted. Oh yeah. Oh no I'm just hungry. Sorry. <laughs> I think we've transitioned. I've got a couple. I've got a, a soccer recommendation and on soccer The soccer recommendation is a book called Thirteen Twelve Among the Ultras. If we do nothing else besides inform you of Nashville SC soccer, which is our you know primary mission here, we would love to link soccer with culture, with history, with you know socioeconomic like there's so much there. Soccer is a window to the world and 1312 is a tremendous example of that. The writer James Montague embeds himself with soccer ultras from Boca Juniors to Peñarol, shout out to Rodrigo Pinheiro's squad in which he grew up, to the Balkans, to pretty much everywhere He's go, he goes. He goes in depth in Italy with several different supporters groups. And of course, as you would imagine, there's soccer talk, but really it's about the history, the politics, the inextricably linked social factors that drive folks to the terraces it's unbelievable i have to recommend Roma lazio talk in there i'm sure a lot of Roma lazio talk that's that is the focus and he goes up to bergamo and talks at atlanta a little bit too but yes very much a perfect example of like one club is a proxy for left-wing politics one for right we're not gonna get political on this thing but when we talk about how soccer links to politics it is a tremendous example of that and then My other somewhat outside of sports but also in sports recommendation is a podcast on this very network, Lame Stream. Braden Gall and Steve Cavendish sit down and talk with – media members and thinkers in the Nashville market and beyond about how they do their jobs, about trends in the industry, and how they are trying to satisfy their audiences. I could say that we're just angling for an appearance on that, and we might not be totally <laughs> off base there. But it's smart talk, but it's also not inaccessible. And I really recommend it to anybody. Whether or not you're a media junkie, it is a, it's worth a
1: listen. All right, to close out, bold predictions for the Cincy match. Tim, what's yours? I think Nashville's going to win by any means necessary. Gary Smith is hungry to get a win against Cincinnati for the first time. If that means hanging on 1-0, that's what he's going to do. He's going to set up tactically to do that. I don't think he's going to have to get out the 1-0 result. You have to think the club is going to want to win big, and I think they have the horses much more than FC Cincy does to win by multiple goals here. I'll stay away from a match prediction
0: since I'm going to be on the call on ESPN 94.9 Saturday, 7.15, pregame start. I will say this. If Nashville scores two goals in this match, it will win. The last time that Cincinnati scored multiple goals in a road match was the 2020 opener. That's 10 matches ago. And they were shut out in six of those matches. And by the way, they lost that opener 3-2 to New York Red Bulls. I know that this will ultimately be a different Cincy team. They've paid too much money to flop in the attack like they did last year. They will struggle to put Goals on the score sheet early this season, though, as they adapt. And I think Nashville's catching them at a, at a good time to start the season. I don't think this is going to be a miserable team. I think they might improve and just be kind of bad. <laughs> we will see. Tim, this was fun.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, and we will be back next Tuesday. In the meantime, don't forget, rate, review, subscribe, retweet, tell a friend heck tell five friends especially because you know we're going to have other guests on i don't know if anybody's going to equal the quality of mike jacobs but we're darn sure going to try thanks to mike for joining us thanks to Brayton and the 440 sports network for hosting we will see you next time